it used to be if you were a company and you could get away from talking about speeds and feeds and talk about product value proposition, you could win. Those days are gone. Welcome everyone to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, the podcast that tells you what's happening now with marketing, what's ahead, and how you can lead the way. And on this episode, we have Meyer Gupta, who is currently the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Gannett, has also worked as a Chief Marketing Officer at Freshly, the Global VP of Growth and Marketing at Spotify, just a few companies you might know. Meyer, thanks so much for coming on Marketing Against the Green. Thanks, Kyron. It's great to be back with you and great to meet you, Kip, as well. Great to have you. Thanks for being here. And I'm here, as always, with my co-host that I <laughs> forgot to do at the intro. <laughs> My co-host, Kip Bonner, CMO of HubSpot. Kieran's much better at marketing than intros. <laughs> Kip is coming to us with a patchwork hoodie that I'm pretty curious about. You know, Chamath on the All In podcast has this great sweater debate. I guess I'm starting the hoodie debate. The hoodie debate. I think it looks like a 1970s carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I may have a carpet right now that looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> it looks completely 1970s, I guess. And Mar, you're coming to us from Miami. So how's Miami? Are you doing a lot of hanging out with Web3 people? There's definitely a wave of a lot of blockchain, Web3 and NFT. And what's exciting, this looks and feels very, very different. And for the first time, the world's looking at Miami for something way more substantial than just travel and tourism and design. Kip, anything that caught your eye this week? The thing that really caught me is is what happened with stonks.com. I don't know if anybody is familiar with stonks.com, which is trying to disrupt the whole venture capital YC world. And, you know, it used to be in the venture world, you had this kind of asymmetry where you had these founders kind of come up and, and present on stage to like 50 high profile venture capitalists. And you'd have, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 founders. And Stonks did their demo day. It was six companies, 1,000 investors. It's like completely changed the dynamic and brought storytelling content. Like they have a Twitch style live stream. It is very much like content marketing media heavy Mm. into the fundraising process and creates a much better supply demand for founders. And I loved this like shift in how capital is going to be raised and kind of like the continue move for the more importance of marketing and storytelling in the startup ecosystem. And I just would love to hear what you guys think around where you think this is going to keep going because i think you're seeing a lot of venture companies get more and more into content more and more into media how does that all going to keep going i love that and with all the unfortunate news and events that happened with covid there's one good thing covid did especially for marketing which is punched every marketer on his face and growth person and took us back to the basics because for 12 years or so with all the disruption and vc money that flew in we all became very very mechanical all about growth mm-hmm. and we lost marketing lost its soul mm. or the brands many brands especially the zero to one one to end stage growth startups yes we lost the soul we lost the purpose and the need for building an emotional and cultural connection the reason why covid re-emphasized that was only the businesses that had that foundation were the one who could flow through because they knew that they could take a short-term hit in their quarterly OKRs and KPIs Mm -hmm. because they knew that when you have that emotional connection, the consumers will stay. They are more forgiving. And why your example of stonks or in general, why is that VC world or that whole category of players now bringing and thinking about content, marketing, that emotional connection, the differentiation is because the consumers have infinite choice. Look at crypto. 
there is a gazillion, I mean, not gazillion yet, <laughs> but at that pace, yeah. insane amount of options. The features and capabilities are rather commoditized. You know, yes, everyone's going to have all kinds of tokens if you're an exchange. Everyone's going to have this, a massive portfolio of NFTs and same kind of features and capabilities. What will differentiate is, is what you stand for. What is that emotional, cultural connection? What differentiates you that is going to drive your growth alongside all the science, all the rigor, all the great products, which means that sustainable growth will now happen at that intersection of science and storytelling, you know, brand and business, purpose and profitability, but not in one in isolation. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing, right? We are seeing that story and brand are leading to community. And that community is going to become brand, right? And your community yes. will be your brand. And that's what Stonks is doing. They're building a community yes. of people to tell stories and build the brand and around transformation, around how fundraising can be completely different. But you're seeing that in crypto. You're seeing it all across the board. But the convergence of brand and community is going to be the biggest, one of the biggest trends in marketing over the next decade. I think the thing that COVID did was accelerated how good people got at this. <laughs> yeah, true. The level of content that people create is so much better. Like if you go into Twitter, like we're all threaded to death now, but the level of content being produced in Twitter took a huge step change function like up, right? There was, because there's so much more appetite for digital content consumption. And there's just a new breed of marketers, media people, and people who can create content are just so much better at tailoring that content for that channel and building real audience across those channels. And I think companies like Stonks, that combination of brand media and community, I think are going to be the next wave of disruptors, like the companies who really are able to accelerate within those markets. No question. And I also feel something underneath that's happening, Kyron, is that the talent is evolving. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing so many product people doing podcasts and creating mm -hmm. content or becoming creators. I'm seeing a lot of marketing people Coming from engineering, you know, I, I'm a major in computer science. I wrote code for six years, became an architect. And I think we're seeing tremendous amount of that happening because at the end, the ultimate user experience happens again at that intersection point. And if we have talent and leaders who are still living in the vertical silos, that is when you break that experience. So I'm starting to see a lot of this cross-pollination happen at scale. Yeah, the thing that I think all of that leads to is marketing used to be an output of the business strategy and now marketing is causing the disruption of the business strategy. If you look at just what we're talking about, if you look at just something as simple as community and community-led growth, that's going to put middlemen out of business, right? It's going to put distributors, a bunch of traditional business models are no longer going to be necessary because companies are going to be able to build, incentivize, and own communities from the very beginning. And other than like government regulatory-based issues, most of that is going to get disrupted. And marketing and distribution overall are becoming one of the biggest factors that is going to disrupt business and evolve business models. I wanted to kick us off, Mario. I wanted to talk to you about something that I was curious about. We, we all have experience in growing an audience for something and monetizing that audience. So what were some of the hardest things you had to measure at Spotify that were, you know, non-traditional? I can imagine Spotify who, you know, did a lot of brand campaigns and did a lot of things that are, are typically not easy to measure. Were there things that you guys struggled with in terms of measurement when you wanted to spend a lot of money on brand or TV or those kind of things? In case of Spotify, you know, that was a disruptor and that disruption happened years back. And on the backing of a phenomenal product, all the growth at Spotify in the first seven, eight years happened very organically, word of mouth, you know, just, just virality mm. because Spotify had to find its voice. 
And, you know, we came up with the idea that the core platform had to be a platform for discovery for the world and it built on it. But, you know, as it often happens with marketing, when you only index on that side, then after a two, two and a half year cycle, you start to be asked the question, what is the attribution behind that spend? Especially for a company that had so much tremendous organic growth, right. you start to find and challenge the incrementality of marketing, especially when that spend is now running at scale. Right. So that was around the time when I joined. And some of the things we did to more quantitatively measure the incremental impact of that top of funnel spend was one, we brought you know, some basic fundamental capabilities. So we brought MTA on board. You know, so we, we started to have a better understanding in an eight to nine month period on what the funnel looked like. How do we attribute a multi-touch funnel process to investment that we were making on paid social, on Facebook, or even top of funnel? Two, we started to do some really interesting ideas to do some holdout markets because we had markets that, that belonged to a same cohort or an archetype. So we would spend top of funnel in one market, but not in the other to see what lifts we were getting. Right. The idea was never to measure brand for the sake of moving the brand, awareness, you know, um, sentiment analysis, you know, affinity and so on, which is fine. That's easy to measure. The goal was how do we tie the lift in the brand KPIs to business KPIs? How do we measure and correlate lift in brand KPIs to performance, retention, engagement? And that is what we started to do with some more A-B testing at the market level. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Myra, is because you've like been in tech, you've been in media. We see a lot of these kind of tech companies buying media businesses, Pando buying Mind the Product, which is Community, Reforge buying Marketing Technology Academy, uh, HubSpot bought The Hustle. There's been some other ones as well that fit into that bracket. From someone who kind of, you know, has worked across tech and media, what do you feel about that relationship? How do you think about how tech companies should approach media today? versus like maybe how they've thought about it in the past? Look, the levers of growth that most tech and product companies have leveraged in the past is either the inertia of the product, you know, virality, network effects, or in most cases, leaning on external media platforms to drive reach and then drive that pull. And at some point, it starts to become a point of diminishing return, which is where we are. You know, the CPMs are insanely high and there is this mm-hmm. cat euphoria, which, is, which doesn't really drive high quality users. Two, every business, every product company is trying to find what do I do in between the moments of transactions, right? How do I stay engaged? So if you're in Airbnb, mm-hmm. how do I keep you engaged and how do I stay top of mind when you're not traveling, when you're not in that moment, when you have you know, a long weekend or time off? Same way in any platform, trying to build habits, there is no other lever outside of content. So, and I also like to differentiate between media and content. I have my definition of media is something that gives you reach, but content is the oil that flows through. So all these acquisitions we're talking about, more than media, I like to think about them as content platforms. They build a connection with a human being and it all ties down to that if you only have a utilitarian and functional value, you can only go this far because you're only as good as somebody else who will give you more value for the same price or same value for a lower price. The only way you hook them is when you have something that circumvents that, you know, with something more intangible. It's that irrational and the serendipitous connection that pure functionality cannot build with your audience base. And that is why these combinations and convergence are very natural. And I think the thing that most people are getting wrong about the synergies between these two categories is everyone thinks tech companies are buying these, you know, 
companies with content skills slash media skills for immediate conversion, like like immediate leads, immediate users. That's not why you would buy these. It's because you are taking a bet on the future, no. right? And it comes back to the bet on the future being content community and brand. Mm-hmm. And inherently, tech companies don't have the skills that a lot of these media companies have to engage with their audience each and every day and become a prevalent part of their audience daily lives. Like, how do I create things that garner an emotional connection? Most of what we do in tech when we create content is, how do I teach you something to be able to convert you? And that's great. Like, we search for things when we have a problem, and now tech companies can be there when there's that problem. But this skill set of how do I create something meaningful that you want to interact with every single day that creates an emotion that makes you want to share that with your friend, that inherently is not a skill set tech companies have embedded within them. And so I think people miss the fact that you're buying the talent. You're you're almost buying the talent that would normally not go work for a tech company to differentiate yourself from every other tech company. It's even bigger than that. You know, we talked a little bit about community and community becoming brand. The core object of most communities is content. It's some type of story, some type of learning, some type of exchange of ideas, right? And if you're going to build a remarkable brand through community, you first have to have remarkable content, remarkable stories in your community. And I think these bets are exactly like you said here, and they're long term. They're not for the next six months. They're for the next 12, 24, 36 months. There's another underlying phenomenon of correlation, which is if you again go back to 2007, 2008 onwards, when Facebook and iOS started to scale and came out, and, and the 12 years or 13 years that followed that up until COVID, the entire marketing ethos was all about instant gratification. Mm-hmm. You know, the shortest possible ad, the platforms like Facebook's algo was trained to drive FOMO. It would push more spend on creators that would drive instant click, which means that the notion of storytelling and long form consumption kind of dried out. Because the players and the platforms that had long form was pure media content platforms mm. or entertainment, you know, Netflixes and Disney's of sort. Because all these tech players and all this innovation is happening, they are redefining old habits or they're building new habits. Crypto, new habit, reforge, redefining an old habit, really redefining education in the middle of your career, which means that there is not enough awareness and understanding in the audience space. And Everyone is using content as a means to create these categories, to create new habits, to create a much deeper understanding that is not possible in that lower funnel creative ad that just drives a click through. Right. Like what else happened during COVID? The cost to advertise ballooned, right? Like rocketed up because we took all of our budget we were spending on events and things and put them into play platforms, more startups than ever, more VC capital than ever. That, that's not going backwards because no. the, tr- the trouble with having monopolies like Facebook and Google is there's no other way to reach users than through Facebook and Google. So over time, everything erodes for everyone. The other thing that's really interesting is like digital content is just such a, a prevalent part of our lives, like a ubiquitous part of our lives. It, uh, digital content consumption increased by 4x uh, over the course of 18 months during COVID. And people want that content through like so many different mediums, whether that's newsletter, podcast, like all of these different things. And again, typically tech companies are maybe good at like blogs and, you know, even that's debatable for a lot of times, but creating a meaningful podcast, creating a meaningful newsletter, creating a meaningful YouTube channel, creating meaningful videos, those skill sets do not really exist in tech. And the people who are really good at them don't want to work for tech companies. They typically want to work for media companies. And there's a reason for that, Kieran. 
The reason for that is because tech companies' stories have, and actually I would say most companies, especially in the B2B space, their stories always get stuck within one standard deviation away from their product. Product, yeah. Right? And the product is the center versus what the customer wants is the center. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that they don't get far enough from the product to actually understand what the community, the customer, and everyone could actually want. And media starts from the opposite. They say, hey, what does the customer, what does the audience want? Mm. Yeah. And how do I do as much as I can to provide value and service to that? And that's normally multiple, multiple standard deviations away from whatever product people are advertising, promoting, connecting with. And that dissonance is, is the issue here. And if you're going to build a remarkable company long term in any market, you're going to have to have stories that go across that entire spectrum from your audience to your product, not just one standard deviation on one side or the other. That is why oftentimes product marketing sat inside product. Yes. And what is the team that was building that content? It was product marketing that sat inside product exactly to just talk about that inside out perspective of what we Mm. are building. But when you think about content as a driver, then suddenly the horizons are very different. And and it's the human who's at the center, you know, followed by the community. And then product becomes a means to meet and enable that need. Right. It used to be if you were a company and you could get away from talking about speeds and feeds and talk about product value proposition, what it meant to your customers, you could win. Those days are gone. If that's as far as you go, you're going to be irrelevant except to a a very niche group of buyers. You have to hit the buyer and the audience across the entire emotional spectrum. And I think that's why you're seeing companies do deals like this. Yeah. What do we think about creators, right? When you look at, stand back and think about the large investment that's going into creators, creators being such a much more prevalent part of media, it's a no-brainer that creators are important for like B2C companies. They can just build such a sizable audience around hobbies, interests, things that B2C companies care about. Do, do we think B2B companies should care about creators? Do we think creators should be on B2B companies' minds? I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Meyer. I don't think it is, it is business model specific. I think the creator economy is an outcome of democratization of the overall, the world's ecosystem. It is taking away the middle layer, taking away bureaucracy, driving more independence, more speed, more transparency. And so I feel that that resonates with every single aspect of the human life, if, you know, including B2B businesses. I mean, that's what Facebook and Instagram and their whole big focus is going to be to try and revitalize that. That is what we were trying to do at Spotify and Spotify still is. That is what has changed Netflix completely. I mean, in many ways, they've built marketplaces where, yes, it's original content, but a lot of that original content is actually being submitted mm-hmm. by individual creators, by individual studios. So I feel that totally, even marketing tech ecosystem, once small businesses, as an instance, once small businesses have the tool sets that do not have friction, that are so easy to use like an iPhone, they could start creating content that could be so relevant for their own community, for Mm. their own audience base. But they can't do it today because the tools are so still needs a level of sophistication, a level of understanding. But as that gets more and more simplified, as the friction gets removes itself from the process, I think more of that we will start to see in more and more and more of BDP as well. Yeah. Follow me here. This can be a little weird. But, you know, like Facebook, <sighs> Instagram, Google, like they're essentially like a coffee plantation. They're like, they're growing coffee beans. And the, <laughs> the, the influencer 
the creator, they're Starbucks. They're, they got their local Starbucks. They're taking this commodity thing, this commodity right. experience, and packaging it in a way that makes you feel something, makes you want to be there, makes you want to linger a little while, right? And that is what that value add is all about, and that's what's changing in the society that we live in. And creators are going to be important in every industry because of that value add of the community and content experience. And Mayor's right. Like there are some markets that are less dependent on Facebook and other kind of scaled, really good consumer grade products. And you know, like if you want to go get the best like manufacturing content. You don't go to Facebook. It's like there's not a great platform. Some of that's happening on LinkedIn, for example, and you have your LinkedIn influencers there. But as those tools and as those platforms change, you're going to see the creator economy span every single market around the globe because of the value add that they're providing on top of that kind of baseline experience. You know, and as Kip was talking, I was just thinking it also depends on how we define a creator. A creator. Mm. Obviously, in today's lingo and lexicon, we, we talk about a human being as an individual, as a creator. But if you think about it, you know, these, these media platforms, they built a creator economy. The only difference was the businesses and brands were creators, right? But these platforms were not creating. Like Facebook never owned content, which means that they built a platform where brands could produce. I mean, in that case, even users. But I feel that businesses have been creators for a long time, leveraging the platform. The difference is now, that with better tools and better technology, they now have access to distribution and circulation of that content as well. I, I think about creators as the people who are providing a, a premium experience on platform, right? Like, so if you go go to like, take Instagram, for example, it's like your mom or, or sibling posting a picture. That's kind of like going to get a cup of coffee at the gas station to use my, yeah. you know, coffee, coffee analogy, right? And that's like, again a little bit better than just the commoditized like coffee you can go buy at the grocery store, but it's way off from the premium experience. And so I think depending on whatever the community, whatever the network is, those people who are those kind of top 1% creating a premium experience, which is normally tied to quality and emotion more than anything else, are really who I package and brand as creators in, in any kind of world. I do think one thing our listeners can take from it if you're thinking, about, like I don't directly see how creators impacts me in any meaningful way, one thing, the, the shift towards creators and individuals owning a lot more of the media landscape for any company is people engage with people. Like the more you can personalize your brand and have people as part of your brand, whether that's your founder having a great story, whether that's your exec team being, you know, being out there, having a great story, sharing their opinions, like Toby on founder of Shopify does this really well. Like there's some really great founders who are very, very visible and you think of them as part of the brand. And I think more and more, people want to know people in the company, right? Like what are their thoughts? What are their point of views? We see this a lot now on Twitter with founders who have like very unafraid and unbashed to share their thoughts. You know, the, the founder of Bolt is trying to become a influencer. I don't know if you've seen all his Stripe Mafia and all these different things. Totally. That creator economy, some of the things that maybe aren't talked about is how it's impacting everything. Founders want to be front and center. They're, they're following that creator playbook. And so I think we're seeing brands starting to use that to personalize their own brand through individuals in their company. Yeah. Do you know why? Because there's no other choice. Look at what right. the pandemic did. Yeah. People are already ignoring cold calls. If you look at the sale, sales call acceptance and sales email acceptance, it's basically plummeted down 45% on the email side of things. Oh, and then you're like, oh, nobody's in an office anymore, so you can't do direct mail. What are you going to do? 
you have to meet people where they are through remarkable emotional stories. That is the takeaway for anybody that's listening here is just talking about your product and using math and say, hey, I'm going to email 1,000, 10,000 people and I'm going to get a few to respond and that's going to work for me. Those days are done. It's over. You know, the users the users are also able to see the facade. Oh, yeah. Is when, when it's not coming from you internally, like you said, the great point around employees and founders themselves. I mean, they're the best protagonists who can tell the story on why you existed, why you created that business. But users today are consensus, extremely consensus, especially the Gen Zs around the why behind what you sell. And if you aren't coming through in there and, and delivering on that, you know, they, they're going to leave and find somebody else. Okay, so we try to go 35 minutes uh, around that. So we're, we're up in time. So listeners, we will get back to your questions. This is not like a hard and fast rule that we have to do any sections. We kind of do what we want. Let's do the question. Let's do the question. Come on. You, okay, Kip's going to push me. Do the question. Okay, Kip's going to do the <laughs> Let's take five minutes and do the question. All right, let's do the question. Come on. Okay, we're going to push do the question. We're going to push through it, do the question. Okay. <laughs> so the, the question is actually about prioritization. So we had a bunch of people who are leading new marketing teams. Like they're actually ahead of marketing. And the one thing they asked is like, could you guys tell us how do we, how do I meaningfully prioritize? Like I come into a role, there's just so many things that I want to do. There's so many things the founder wants me to do. How can I start to distill that down into something that's more manageable? Because these are tough, tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> tough questions. Okay. So depending on what, what role you're playing within marketing, let's assume you, you're talking, you have a hundred dollar budget in marketing. Very simple. And you, there are three challenges that any marketer is trying to solve or should try to solve. One is grow your brand so that you're creating new demand. You know, capture that demand, which is your acquisition in the, in the most optimum and efficient possible way. And then third is your ability to retain that demand, which is through stronger engagement and building habits and so on. So the biggest challenge for any marketer is how do you split between investing in the brand and creating demand mm, and capturing it? Yeah. I think that's the mm -hmm. that's the one question we all dabble with. So this is one way that I've I've come to challenge myself. It's think about what is oxygen, what is food, what is water, and go in that hierarchy. I feel in growth businesses, unless you're a CPG, mm -hmm. CPG has no option because you're not direct to consumer, right? You have no other option but still continue to invest in brand top of funnel because that is how you're going to bring somebody to the shelf, perhaps, you know, make the purchase. If you're direct to consumer, unlike it or not, your oxygen is your lower funnel. You have to earn your right to sit on that chair every single day and numbers have to move. So you have to figure out a way on how you bring users in, how you drive conversion, how you drive, how do you optimize the funnel. If you're starting in zero to one, that's where you go. You don't invest 90 out of the $100 in building the brand if you don't even have a thousand user base, users yet. So that's where you start. That's your oxygen. But then you know that eventually you do need to eat. <laughs> but it does give you two or three days. You won't die if you don't have good, you don't have food. So you survive if you haven't figured out, hey, they don't really understand me. It's okay. You know, it's, it's totally fine. Bring them in. Let them understand you through the inertia of your product. But now when you're scaling, now you need to create new demand because you've exhausted or you're about to exhaust all the demand you already had within, the, within your total addressable market. Now you have to start to invest in brand. The challenge is that if you get so much success only by living on oxygen because you're just too strong and, and too fit, many startups see that, it's very hard for them to make that pivot to invest in brand because the ROI on that investment is very different from the ROI on the lower funnel acquisition and retention because you can see it by the end of the day. 
So, but that's how I like to prioritize. The challenge happens is when growth companies and product companies, even if the founder tells you invest in the brand and that's where you put all your energy and 90 or the $100, you give yourself nine months, the same questions, the same people will ask you the question, what is the attribution and what tangible growth did you drive? Because you focus so much on that serendipity in the beginning. So I'm, I'm a simple-minded person, so I'm going to have a similar answer with two framings instead of three because I can't keep three things in my head. <laughs> For me, you come into a situation, whether you're a growth business, whatever, whether you're not a growth business, and you say, look, am I perception constrained or am I distribution constrained? What's going to stop my growth in the short term? So it's still, you're still in that short-term mode, but do I have distribution? It's just like people don't think the right thing about me, don't think of me, don't think of me in this part of the market. If that's the case, great. Then you need to lean, lean into brand, product marketing, everything Mayor was just saying. If you're distribution constrained, then that's that's the oxygen, right? Like then you have to go and figure out how do I get low cost distribution? And that's normally a six, 12, 18 month focus to really start getting that and building that to a place where you can have predictability. And that's the first question you ask yourself. And you are okay. I think the big thing is omitting some of those things. If you're distribution constraint, be below average on brand for a little while. It's okay. Yeah, I think the uh, the only two th- I think they're great framements. I can't I can't do anything better than that. The only two things I would add before we close out is the other thing that people struggle with is no one when is the time to invest in your distribution channels or trying to find new distribution channels and you can't really figure that out unless you forecast your growth, right? So I need to have like a twelve month plan, an eighteen month plan where I forecast my growth so I can start to see where I start to reach saturation points because most of us in most companies what will what will happen for most companies when I talk to them they're just like oh. We've just realized like we're, you know, we're out of growth and you don't have the time to resolve that. Right. And so if you build forecast models, you, you can start to figure that out. The second point I can't remember. So I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to talk to tell you. <laughs> the first one was so good that you forgot the second so, one. I get it. Yeah. I it forgot happens. the second one. Wait, so you see, I started with three, keep love two and you're down to one. I'm going to, I'm going down to down one. I'm getting in there, get out and just do one. Meyer, this was incredible. We, we're so thankful for you to coming on and, and sharing all of that amazing knowledge and information with our listeners. It was amazing. Thanks for the perspective, man. Appreciate the time. No, thank you. Thanks for having me over. That's Marketing Against the Grain. We will be back next time with the fun facts, fantastic guests, and what's happening in marketing and how you can grow your business in the future. The best way to get our attention is we read every single review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and put your question at the end of the review. We will get you a shout out in the episode and we will try to give you the best answer possible to your question. So follow, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. And remember to go to marketingagainstthegrain.com, sign up, tell your friends. Until next time. See you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.